Some of you have heard me tell this, relate this story about our daughter Lisa when she was a little girl. We were going home from church one Sunday many, many years ago now. And uh, Mike and Steve, our two older brothers, were with someone else. It was just Martha and, and Lisa and myself. And this was before the day of seat belts. And so Lisa was standing just in the back there between our two seats. And I could see her face in the rearview mirror, though she couldn't know, couldn't know, didn't know that I could see her face. And uh, we were talking. I don't remember what we were talking about. And I, I said, Lisa, uh, what uh, was the memory verse in Sunday school today? Just kind of checking up on whether or not she'd, uh, she remembered it. She said, and she did. She said, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I said, wonderful. That's terrific. I said, what do you think about that? And I could see her thinking. She couldn't, she didn't know I was watching her in the mirror. But I could see her wrinkle her brow a little, and she was thinking. And uh, she asked a question. She said, does that mean that I've got to love little Robert? Now, you don't know little Robert. And you don't want to know little Robert. <laughs> little Robert was on... Our street there, we have a street that's one block long. It's a dead end. If our homes cost more, we'd call it a cul-de-sac, but we call it a dead end. <laughs> oh. So we're on a dead end. We've got a one block long street, and so everybody knows everybody. And little Robert was on that street, and uh, he and Lisa did not get along. And there was nothing little about little Robert. I mean, he was El Nino on wheels. I mean, he was something else. Uh, when little Robert came out to play, even the adults went inside. It was... So it was very logical for Lisa to say, uh, does that mean I've got to love little Robert? Because she and Robert, there was not a whole lot of love lost between the two of them. I've got to love little Robert as much as I love you and Mother and Mike and Steve and Princess. That's our dog. And uh, I said, well, Lisa, I was watching her. She couldn't tell that, didn't know that. I said, Lisa, um, that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? She said, yeah. Then I could see her thinking some more. And after a few moments, she kind of, shook her head sort of in, in a rigor, shook her head, and she said, no way. <laughs> well, I think I'm grateful for her honesty. Do you have any little Roberts in your life? We all do, I suppose, at one time or another, maybe more than one time or another. Oh, well, why, why did Jesus say that? When did he say it? Well, if you have your New Testament with you in the 12th chapter of Mark, you can also read it in the 10th chapter of Luke. Let me tell you the background of that marvelous statement. One of the scribes, this, a scribe is someone who is a specialist in, in uh, the Hebrew law, the scripture, uh, very intelligent people. One of the scribes came and heard the discussion going on that Jesus was having with a group of people, and recognizing that he, Jesus, that is, had answered well, 
he asked, what commandment is the foremost of all? What is the most important commandment? Now give this scribe credit for asking a great question. That is a great question. All of us, if we had a few moments of face-to-face conversation with God, we'd all have some questions we'd like to ask him. We'd have some personal questions we'd like to ask him about how am I going to pay the bills next week or what am I going to do about the medical problem. We have some of those personal questions we would like to ask him and that he, he wants us to do that. He invites us to do that. We are to do that. Nothing wrong with doing that. It's proper to do that. But after we get through some of those personal concerns and you get right down to some of the bedrock foundation questions about life, Isn't this a great question? To ask what is the most important commandment of all. Now there were a lot of different commandments given through the Jewish law. A lot more than the Ten Commandments. They were amplified upon and amplified upon and amplified upon in tradition. Here he comes and asks this very significant question. And Jesus gives a very significant answer. Jesus reaches back into the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, back into the Torah, the Hebrew Bible. And he lifts out two verses. He lifts one out of Leviticus and another out of Deuteronomy. This was unusual as I understand it from what I've read. Sam Stahl may correct me on this later. But I understand very seldom would a rabbi take two verses of scripture like that and put them together. This was unique. Jesus was called rabbi, Ramona, which means teacher. And so he goes back and he picks up because he'd been to Hebrew school. He knew that Torah. He, he loved it. He lived it. He memorized it. And he goes back and he picks up two verses, one Out of Deuteronomy, one out of Leviticus, and this is what he says. The foremost is this. The most important is this, Jesus says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now that is basic to Judaism. That's a priestly blessing. They begin the synagogue service with that statement. The Lord our God is one God. Those of you familiar with the Bible and with the Christian history and Hebrew history know that the Orthodox Jews, you'll see them when you're in Israel wearing the, what are called phylacteries, those leather, little leather boxes on their arm and on their forehead when they pray. And in those phylacteries is that statement, the Lord our God is one Lord. Begin the synagogue service. It's in the phylacteries. The mezuzah, the little metal container on the door in Jewish homes. And if you go to a Hotel in Israel, there'll be one on each door. And when, they, when you walk out of the door, they touch that mezuzah. And when they go into the door, they touch it inside there of these words. The Lord our God is one Lord. What they're saying is, we go out with the Lord. We come in with the Lord, whether in our homes or out in our community. He is there. The Lord our God is one Lord. So here Jesus goes back and he picks up this basic fundamental statement. And he says this, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, he says. It means more than second in terms of 
1 and 2, it means the other side of the coin, the Siamese twin to it, the flip side. The other is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And that passage from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, if you ever have worshipped, as I have on numerous occasions, at Temple Bethel, behind the pulpit is the ark, the area, the place where they contain the uh, great scrolls of the Torah, beautiful screen across it, open that screen, take out the scroll, they read from the Hebrew Bible, they read from the Torah, and it is placed back there. But when you go to the Temple Bethel, above those scrolls are these words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here is Jesus taking two statements. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is synonymous with it, inseparable from it. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, if Jesus says that's the most important commandment, it deserves our attention. It deserves our primary attention. The first thing we need to know is what kind of God we're talking about. What kind of God are you talking about worshiping? What kind of God is making this statement that's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you are, and you are to love Him. You're to love Him with every facet of your being, body, mind, spirit, soul, strength, everything that constitutes your person. To love Him with your total being. Why does He say that? Is it because he's jealous? Is it because he's self-centered? Is it because he's egotistical and he wants us to worship him for that reason? Absolutely not. It's because he knows that when we love him, when we put him first in our lives, our lives are blessed. This is not a jealous God who is saying you love me or else. Here's a wonderful God saying, love me so I can bless you. So that I can pour out abundance upon you. So I can sustain you with my grace. So I can undergird you with my presence. God wants us to love him not for his sake but for our sake. For the reciprocal effect of our loving him would change our lives, our attitude about ourselves and about one another. And that's what we're going to get to here. The God we're talking about loving is the God who loves us and who created the world. Why did he do it? Out of anger? No, out of love. Why did he create man? Out of love, he created him for fellowship. And read through all of that Hebrew Bible. And you see when God's people would fall away, here is God saying, I want you back, I want you back. I have fed you, I've clothed you, I've watched over you, I've cared for you, I've delivered you from Egypt. I've, I've put a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night because I love you. Here's a God of love we're talking about. And when you read and know this kind of God, who wouldn't want to love a God like that? This God who, create, who creates us, who provides for us, who sustains us, who undergirds us, who redeems us, who forgives us, who loves us. We love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. We didn't create the idea of love. God created that within us. God created within us the desire to know him. As Pascal said, there's a God-shaped blank in every man's heart. I believe it's Augustine. God-shaped blank in every man's heart can be filled only by God. 
It was Pascal who said the existence of hunger presupposes the existence of bread. The fact that we hunger for a loving relationship with God is something that was created within us by God himself because we want to reach out to him. It's the most natural, normal thing in the world to do is to love God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And God says, I want you to love me because in so doing, your life will be blessed. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, you and I have got to begin with God. God began by creating us, and if you and I are going to live creative, redemptive lives, we're going to have to begin with God. You and I have business with God. The most important thing any person does is to get right with God. Nothing is going to be right in my life or in your life until we're right with God. Nothing will be right in our lives until we're right with God. I remember it. You don't see it much anymore. I remember driving across America at times and you'd see painted on the side of a barn or sometimes on a billboard or just on some cheap sign beside the road, get right with God. Get right with God. Word of the prophet, get right with God. Get right with God. Get right with God so life will be right for you. God will make things right in our lives when we make things right with him. And life's never going to be right till we're right with God. Never will be. Read an event that happened, true story about a man that rented an automobile at the Chicago airport. Never been to Chicago before in his life, and he was going there on business. When he rented the car, he asked, is there a map in the car of Chicago so I can find my way around the city? And they said, of course, we keep a map. Uh, in the glove compartment. Well, he rented a car, got there, got in, and started driving down the expressways going into Chicago, and he started fiddling around over there, got the, the map out of the, out of the compartment, the glove compartment, started opening it up and trying to find a certain street there. That said, well, this is the main street here, and he was looking, and he could not find any street on that map that he saw on the street signs around him. And he kept looking, dangerously driving along, trying to read a map, find his way at the same time. He finally stopped, went into a service station, and went in there with the map, and he said, look, I'm having a difficult time. I've never been to Chicago before, and, and here's this map, and I'm trying to find a certain street. I don't remember what street he was looking for, and I can't find it on this map. And the attendant there at the, at the station said, well, let me see. And he took the map, and he looked at it, and said, well, I can tell you why I can't find that street. He said, because this map is a map of Detroit. Well, let me tell you, my friend, if you try to go out and find your way down the roads of life with the wrong map, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to go like a lot of lives do. You're going to go in a circle, in a never-ending cycle of frustration. The most important thing every one of us have to do is to get right with God, to put God first in our lives. Jesus told a wonderful story, many of them, but the one at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, was describing the difference between a wise man and a foolish man. And he said, uh, this man built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Here's the wise man. But a foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon it, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now notice the difference. 
in Jesus' estimation, the difference between a wise man and a foolish man is not the materials out of which he builds his life, nor the size of his house, nor the cost of his house, nor even the location of his house, but the foundation of his house. Because there's no way you and I are going to escape the storms of life. There is no gated subdivision that will keep out trouble. Storms come, rains come, winds blow, El Nino happens. And if our houses are not built upon the solid rock, they will slide into the sea. And how tragically we have seen that in these last few weeks in those devastating stories coming from California where those beautiful homes sliding in the mudslides, the devastation and how we, our hearts go out to the people who live there seeing their magnificent homes disappear. I see magnificent lives disappear because they never got on the rock. The storms come and they slide down in the mud of everyday mundane living. Wise men build their houses upon the rock. Jesus is saying, this is the rock, the rock of salvation, the rock of a revealed God who loves you and has come to redeem and to save you. Build your house upon the rock. That's the first most important thing. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. My goodness, I wish Jesus had not quoted that second verse. I don't, I, well, if he had just said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If he had just stopped there, he had everybody in the crowd saying amen. But he went on and he picked up that verse out of Deuteronomy. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Suddenly, I have a problem. I don't have a problem loving God. The only problem I have about loving God is I really want to love Him more. I don't want there to be any, any, any secret part of my life that hadn't been turned over to Him. And I pray every day, I suppose as all of you do, that, oh God, open my heart, open, my, open all the windows of my spirit and let the fresh air of your spirit blow through my spirit. I don't have any problem about God. Believing Him, trusting Him, loving Him, endeavoring to follow Him. But when he says, I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself, then it begins to get difficult. In the account in the 10th chapter of Luke, the man says, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells the story of the, of the good Samaritan. And in a word, a neighbor, according to Jesus, is anybody in trouble. Anybody in difficulty, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, whether you approve of their behavior or not, we're to love one another. It's a commandment. Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. To love one another. Now that might be easy for you. 
I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to stand up here and say it than it is to do it. He says something. This is so profound. The scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, this is very important. He predicates our love for our neighbor upon a proper kind of love for ourselves. Now, he's not talking about vanity. He's not advocating self-centeredness and pride and egotism. What he's saying is this. He is saying that once we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we have a different attitude about ourselves. We see ourselves then as objects of God's love. We see ourselves as of eternal significance because we are loved by God. Not only do we love Him, but He first loved us. And some things are valuable because they're loved and some things are loved because they're valuable. A big ring, big beautiful ring may be loved because it's valuable. Some things are valuable because they're loved. Those little children that can't even speak, they're more valuable than the entire material universe and we love them with all of our hearts. And they're valuable, why? Because they're loved. You are valuable because you're loved by God. You are worth more than the entire material universe. And if you were the only person in all the world who ever failed, whoever was frustrated, whoever was afraid, whoever was angry, whoever made a mistake, whoever wanted to forget something out of your past, that made a difference. Who you are, what you are, God loves you as though you're the only person in all the world who ever made a mistake. He loves each of us as though there's only one to love, Augustine said. You're valuable because you're loved by God. I've told you the story about our time we had with a little Bible study with the home we were sponsored for children, really teenagers, younger teenagers. This was the girls' home for some dependent and neglected teenagers. And I was there for the Bible study. And the way they introduced themselves, some of you know this, have heard it, uh, happened many years ago. We were sitting on the floor there in a little circle, and, and everybody introduced themselves. And they started by starting over here. This girl said, my name is Betty, and I'm somebody because God loves me. Next girl said, I'm Jane, and I'm somebody because God loves me. Went around the circle, came to me, and I said, I'm Buckner, and I'm somebody because I'm a pastor, because I'm a preacher, because I read my Bible, because I go to church, because I try to live right. No. I'm somebody. Because God loves me. And you're somebody. Because God loves you. He loves you intimately and personally. And so, when you have that kind of attitude about yourself, it'll help change your attitude toward other people. Love one another as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to love people around you. As Doug Homerschel said, a man at war with himself will be at war with everybody around him. A man who has a love for himself will begin to love everybody around him. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, very quickly, let me mention a couple of three things. How do you love yourself? If that's the way we're supposed to love one another, he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, how do you love yourself? Well, you're not in love with yourself. Maybe some of you got up this morning and walked into the bathroom and turned on the light. 
and looked at yourself and said, oh my, you're marvelous. You're just the most thrilling thing I've ever seen in my life. You give me goosebumps. Mm. No, some of you maybe did. I didn't. I turned on the light early this morning and I thought something happened. I got hit during the night. I turned the light off and start all over. I think it'll get better. No, 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 no. We're not talking about being in love with yourself. The, the word love in the Bible does not, is not an emotional word. It's an attitudinal word. It's not about feeling. It's about attitude. Our feelings fluctuate. Undulate. Unresilient. They come and go. If we base our faith upon feeling, it will not last. Love is not... Love can express itself emotionally, but basically love is not an emotion. Basically, love is an attitude. It's a commitment. It's a relationship. For better or worse. Not just better, better or worse. Richer or poor. Sickness and in health. To love. Not just emotionally. Not just physically. Attitudinally. That means commitment. For better or worse, richer or poor. So... This love that we're talking about, the way we love ourselves, is not emotional. It's unemotional. It's also unconditional. My love for myself and your love for yourself is always unconditional. By that I mean you're always on your side. You're always on your side. Now we all grew up hearing words that are very true. We're to separate the sin from the sinner. We are to love the sinner. We are to hate the sin. But somewhere along the way, at least in the lives of some people, those two things get changed. And they love the sin and they hate the sinner. But let me tell you, in my life, and maybe it's true in your life as well, I don't have much problem separating me from my sin. I may have trouble separating you from your sin. But I have no trouble separating me from my sin. Saying, boy, if you only understood what I was going through, you'd understand why I said what I did. I mean, I, I lost my temper. I shouldn't have done this, or I did that, or I should have done that. Uh, if you'd only known the extenuating circumstances, why you would have, you would have a different, different attitude. I, I have, I'm unconditionally on my side. Now, I don't want to excuse myself. I don't want to rationalize myself out of responsibility, moral responsibility. But I, I'm, I'm for me. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if I were always for you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us just believed somehow that even though it looks bad on the outside and seems to sound bad on the news, maybe they've got it wrong. I'm still going to believe the best until it's proved otherwise. We don't do that easily, do we? We do it for ourselves. Very conditional. Toward others, unconditional about ourselves. What if we always believe the best about one another? And say, well, even if it is true, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to encourage them. 
because I believe better things belong in them. I believe better things are in them. I just believe it's a bad, bad time. And if God can forgive all of our sins, maybe God can help us begin to forgive us our sins and help us to forgive other people their sins. Unconditional love. God's love is unconditional. He's saying our love for each other is to be unconditional. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We love ourselves unconditionally. We also love ourselves spontaneously. I've been in a couple of hotel fires. I never want to be in another one. Fortunately, no one was seriously hurt, uh, but a lot of us were scared, frightened nearly to death. But if I'm ever in a hotel again and I smell smoke like I did once in, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri and another time in Richmond, Virginia, um, if I smell smoke in the middle of the night, I tell you, that's a frightening feeling. And uh, suppose I'm in a hotel, in a hotel, I begin to smell smoke. I think, oh my goodness, this hotel's maybe on fire. And I can see smoke curling underneath the door. I think, mm, mm, mm. This hotel's on fire, and I don't know whether I'm going to save myself or not. I forgot to pray before I went to sleep last night, and I, I don't know whether I deserve to be saved or not. Um, I didn't read my Bible yesterday. Maybe I don't deserve to get out of this hotel. Smoke curling underneath there, and I'm sitting there just browbeating myself, thinking about, well, whether or not am I going to... Let me tell you. I don't care whether I forgot to read my Bible, whether I forgot to say my prayers. When I smell smoke coming into that room in that hotel, I'm getting me out of that hotel. I am going to act spontaneously on my side for me to save myself, right? Now, if my family are in the next room or down the hall and I open the door and there's fire out there, I'd run through that fire to get to them. I have no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure every, every person here in this room that's a parent or a grandparent would say the same thing. If my children... Daughters-in-law, son-in-law, grandchildren were down that hall. I'd give it a shot. I'd run for it. I might lose my life going down there to save them, but I'm not going to save me without them because I'm committed to them. I'm unconditionally committed to them, and I'm spontaneously on their side, and I'll run down there to save them if I can. But if you're down there, I may think a little while. There, my good friend Bob Farmer's way down there at the other end of that hotel. Hmm. Flame, my, it's hot down there, Buckner. Bob's one of the finest friends I've ever had in the world. One of the finest Christians I've ever known. Hey, Bob! Can you get out? Try to call him. Can't get him. Boy, do I make a run for it? Well, God has used him in a wonderful way across, <laughs> across these years and 
I know he's going to have a marvelous eternal reward. And I'm out of there. Do we really love one another as we love ourselves? I'm with Lisa. There's no way. There's no way I, Buckner Fanning, however much resolve I may have, however many promises I might have made, there's no way I can love everybody as I love myself if it's up to me to do it. The only way I believe that that can happen is when I let the love of him who is the eternal God, the essence of love for me in the person of Jesus Christ and his spirit come into my life and he begins to love his love through me. And his love begins to push out that selfishness and that self-centeredness that is so consistent with our being a person. I say, dear Lord, I cannot love like that. I cannot love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength without your guidance and your Holy Spirit and your direction and your input. And I certainly cannot begin to love other people as you love them, willing to lay down your life for the ungodly. Oh, I do not have that kind of love. It's impossible. Lord, the only way it can happen is that I'm going to open myself to you and I want your love and your spirit to just flow through me and to push the old me out of the way and to penetrate my life, permeate my life with your loving spirit and reach out through me and love the world in your name. Paul's favorite phrase was, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and Christ in me. Not only the hope of glory, but Christ in me, the power to love and to forgive care and to share and to serve. And so this morning I invite you. You've never said to God that you love him. Say so today. Love God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. Say, Lord, I do love you. I want to follow you. I want to do that which pleases you and honors you. If you know him as a Christian, I want you to trust him and be a part of his church. Come be a part, as many did the earlier service this morning. Some coming for the first time to say, I want to be a Christian. I believed him in my heart. I've trusted him in my heart, but I've never made it public. And I want to make it public. Or to come say, I want to be a part of this church. Not a perfect church because it's made up of imperfect people and will never be perfect. But we worship someone who is and who helps us be more like him and to be more loving and more forgiving and more understanding and more graceful. We want you and we need you. We can pray for one another and work together to help make the world a better place through the love of God permeating our lives and through us to the world. Maybe you'd like to come and just kneel and pray and return to your seat like people do regularly. Whatever God's Spirit impresses you to do, just remember this. No one ever loved you like God. He just loved you to death. 
He loves you so much, he gave himself for you so that you could be filled with his life and love. Let his love in. Let his life in. And you'll know life. Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. So you come to make whatever decision God impresses you to make. Let's sing. <laughs>